Question as we start. How many of you have heard of the Tough Mudder? Anyone here ever run in one before? All right, a couple of participants. It's basically a 10 to 12 mile challenge course that's littered with lots and lots of obstacles and lots and lots of mud. Some of those obstacles include high jumps into water, electrocution, wires and swimming through ice water, and crawling through submerged tubes with only your nose sticking out and and pitch black trenches. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? Running through fire. I mean, there's all kinds of cool stuff going on. At the end of the event, they give you a little headband for all of your trouble. (laughs) Now, the organizers require you to sign a release because apparently several people have died during these events. At every race, there are lots of people who are hospitalized with broken bones and things of that nature. So when I heard that they were having one here in the Lehigh Valley, I had to do it. I mean, who doesn't love getting burned, bruised, beaten, and electrocuted, right? (laughs) So today, I ran the Tough Mudder. (laughs) I didn't say I finished the Tough Mudder. (laughs) But I did compete in the Tough Mudder. And, And let me tell you, I'm a little tired. Got a little bit of a headache. It was tough. It wasn't, it wasn't that the, the obstacles were ridiculously hard or that the 95-degree heat was, was tremendously hot or that the hill after hill after hill wore you down. It was the fact that I didn't train at all for the Tough Mudder. Some might call that stupid. I call it faith. <laughs> And so I went into it thinking, you know what? The Lord's going to get me through. I went in with faith, trusting that Jesus would sustain me. Now, now there were those who clearly trained very hard for the Tough Mudder, all right? Who put lots of effort into making sure that they did everything they possibly could to assure themselves that they would cross the finish line. And I was thinking about that as I was going up and down these hills and getting electrocuted. You know, this is a lot like life. Because there are all kinds of obstacles along the journey of life, and there are those of us who approach life by faith, and there are those of us who approach life by our works, by our working out. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about what happens when we live by works and what happens when we live by faith. Two weeks ago, we began a series called Live Free, based off of Galatians chapter 5. And the first verse says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And in studying that first verse, we learned three things. The first thing that we learned was that freedom in Christ is the freedom from something, the liberation from something, not the license to do something. Secondly, we learned 
that only Jesus Christ can free us. We can't free ourselves. And third, we learned learned that once we've received that freedom, we need to stand firm and not submit again to our old way of life, our old way of thinking. Now, today, we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into that second point, that, that we can't free ourselves, that only Jesus can free us. And so, as you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 6. Verses 2 through 6. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share your word. Spirit, I pray that you would just fill me now and that my words would be your words, that you would give me your power, that you would give me your energy, that I would be able to speak your truth with authority and love. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare each of our hearts to hear that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So so Paul just finished giving us his summary statement in verse 1, his thesis statement. And like any good writer, he's going to now support that thesis statement by making sound arguments and backing that up with with application. And so Paul starts off by grabbing our attention. He says, look, listen up. Hey, wake up here. I got something to say to you. You better be paying attention. And once Paul gets their attention, he explains to them three things that happen when they live by their works and three things that happen when we live by faith. And the first thing that Paul tells them is that when we live by works, we have to rely completely on ourselves. We have to rely completely on ourselves. In verse 2 he says, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So Paul gets their attention, and the first thing he lets them know is that if they depend on circumcision to save them, then they're on their own. Because Jesus will be of no help to them. Now remember, there were the false teachers in Galatia that were teaching his audience that they needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's why Paul is explaining this to them. Now, now listen, Paul isn't literally saying that the act of circumcision will keep you from heaven. Because if that were the case there'd be a lot of us guys who'd be in pretty big trouble. All right, let's just be real. Thankfully, that's not the case. He's using circumcision as a representation for human works. 
for man-made rules and regulations that we put in place in order to achieve eternal life. Paul, Paul confirms this later in verse 6 when he says, Look, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It, it, it's not really that big of a deal. But back in verse 2, what Paul is saying, and he's, he's writing this in the present tense, which means he's saying, if you continuously put your faith in human works to save you, you have to rely on yourself because Jesus Christ is of no value to you. If you continue to live by man-made rules and obligations as if your life depended on it, then Jesus won't do you any good. Now, now most of us don't really believe that circumcision is actually required for salvation, right? So, so how does this how does this practically apply to us? Well, the reality is that many religious things, many good things, can subtly creep into our thinking and become a work that we think we have to live by. Something we think that we have to do in order to be acceptable to God, in order to please God, to be a good Christian. Something that we believe has to happen in order for us to climb that stairway to heaven. It could be baptism. It could be speaking in tongues or tithing a certain percentage or reading your Bible every day or praying or going to church every single weekend. Or, or maybe it's being pro-life. Or, or anti-gay marriage. The list, the list goes on and on and on. Friends, not a single one of those things that I just listed will save you. In fact, all of them can become things that are a hindrance to our walk with God because they take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. The only thing that can save us is accepting what Jesus Christ has done for us. Living a perfect life, dying in our place on a cross, and then overcoming death and rising again. That's it. Putting our faith in that is it. That's the only thing that can save us. None of those other things matter. One writer put it this way, Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. So, when I was busy not training for the Tough Mudder, I heard lots of people say that I had to do all kinds of things in order to finish the race. Well, you, you have to be able to run at least 8 to 10 miles. You, and you know what? You should really get used to running wet because you're going to chafe in places you don't even know you had. And, and you probably should carbo-load beforehand, so you have the energy to get through it. And, and don't wear anything new, only worn clothes and, and good broken-in sneakers. All kinds of stuff, they said, that you had to do in order to finish the race. If I, if I didn't do those things, then I'd be dead. I'd 
in no way be able to finish. Now, now, would it have been wise for me to train? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but was training required to finish the race? No. Now, now you might be thinking, well, well Matthew, hold on, hold on, hold on. Doesn't the Bible say that I should be baptized? Doesn't the Bible say that I should read it and that I should pray and I should do or not do certain things? Well, yeah, of course. The Bible prescribes lots of things that it would be a good idea for us to do or not do. But none of them are required for us to be saved. And that is what Paul is trying to get across here. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Period. End stop. That's it. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you might be saying to yourself, you know what, I, I can't accept that. It's, it's too narrow-minded. It, it's just, it's not fair. There have to be other ways to heaven than Jesus. Friends, if there were other ways to heaven, do you really think that God the Father would have sent his son to die on a cross? A hideous, horrible death? If, if there was a way that we could earn our salvation, don't you think the Bible would tell us how to do that? All Scripture actually tells us is that we got no shot. That we're hopelessly dead in our sin, and God knows it. Which is why He sent His Son for us. So if you're sitting here thinking that there have to be other ways to heaven other than Jesus, then you've bought into the lie of the world. You've fallen victim to the deception of the enemy and are running clearly contrary to what Scripture says. And Satan would like nothing more than for you to continue to disregard the truth of Scripture. And to go on thinking that there are lots of ways to heaven. If I'm just a good person, I'll get there someday. That, that your good deeds, your, your circumcision, your, your tough mutter training will be enough for you to finish the race. And that is a lie. When we live by our works, we rely on ourselves and Christ's death is of no advantage to us. But Paul continues on, and the second thing he says is that when we live by our works, we are required to keep the whole law. We are required to keep the whole law. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And when it says there that you're obligated to keep the whole law, that doesn't mean that you have to observe the law and just kind of recognize that it applies to you. That's not what it means. It means that you have to perfectly live by every single rule that the Lord God put forth and never, ever mess up. 
Not a single time. In fact, if you even think about messing up, you've probably already messed up. All right? Jesus said to those who were trying to live by the law in the Sermon on the Mount, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection is the standard. And when we live by our works, we are required to live to that standard. If we mess up once, we can't finish the race. We've already lost. James 2 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. I'm I'm not trying to be a downer here. But the reality is, there's no such thing as a good person going to heaven. Only perfect people go to heaven. But no one runs the race perfectly. We all mess up, and there are clear consequences for our sin. Death. Eternal death. Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel says, the soul who sins shall die. So, so how does someone live perfectly? Well, the answer is that we can't. But Jesus did. And Scripture says that when we put our faith in Jesus, that his perfection covers us. And God no longer sees the fact that we tripped and fell during the race, that we slipped off of the monkey bars, that we got burned along the way. He doesn't see that anymore. He only sees Jesus. So, imagine this. Let's say every one of us is in the tough mutter, and we're all running along, and we realize that I got no gas left. I just, I am not going to get up this hill. There's no way I'm getting through that shock therapy obstacle. I can't do it. I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. But then all of a sudden, this guy comes sprinting up to us who hasn't even broken a sweat yet, and he's like, hey, I'm Jesus. And I want to win the prize for you. I want to run the race for you. No questions asked. No payment required. All you have to do is just let me do it. All you have to do is just accept that I will finish for you. And so we kind of tag his hand. All right, you're it. And off he goes. And he goes sprinting through the mud that has been bogging you down all day. He goes running right through the fire and the electric, doesn't even flinch. And then he walks right over the water. He's like... (laughs) And flies up the wall, over the obstacles, jumps over this chasm at the end of the race that you couldn't have been able to jump over in a million years. You'd have fallen every time on your face, ending up in the abyss. 
And he crosses the finish line and he runs up to the judge and he says, Hey, I finished. Prize, please. Thank you. Oh, by the way, this isn't for me. This is for that guy back there who let me run the race for him. He gets the prize. That is what putting our faith in Jesus is all about. But here's the thing. If we don't tag Jesus' hand, no matter how hard you've trained, no matter how great a shape you're in, you won't be able to finish. You won't be able to finish the race. In fact, the New King James Version of this verse says that if we live by our works, we are a debtor to keep the whole law. Where where the word obligated is, in the translation I read, it uses the word debtor. And what that means is that the law creates a debt that none of us can pay. Which is why Scripture says that when we sin, we can become a slave to that sin because it creates a debt that is astronomical, that we will never have enough to pay off. But, but Christian brother and sister, I want to speak to you for a second. Sometimes, even after we allow Jesus to run the race for us, even after we put our faith in him, we keep trying to repay the debt. We treat, keep trying to think that something more has to be done. We know that Christ has saved us. We know that he's got the prize waiting for us. Yet, we think we owe him something. We think that we have to live a good life in order to please him, to to, to repay him for what he's done. And friends, that is still living in debt. That is still living in slavery. That's not living free. So it would be like us in the Tough Mudder, right? So we're running along, and we've slapped Jesus' hand, and, and then, you know, we think, hey, you know what? Maybe I should help him. What? What? Oh, I'm going to try to keep up with this. Wow, he's walking over. Okay, um, all right, I'm going to try to keep up with this guy. Here, let me, let me you want some water? Um, how about I tie your shoe for you? Um, can, I, can I just rub your shoulders a little bit? And Jesus is like, get, get out of here. Let me run this for you. And then he goes and finishes, and we cross the finish line, and we, we get the prize, and we're like, hey, uh, all, all I got on me is like $52. Is that good? Can I, yeah, no? And we try to repay him for what he's done. That is still living in debt. Jesus doesn't need our help. And he doesn't want our payment. He ran the race for us free of charge. And we don't have to live thinking that we're obligated to repay him for what he's done. That we're obligated to live a good life now. When we live by works, we're required to keep the whole law. Which is something that none of us can do. Nor can we ever repay Jesus for what he's done. All we can do is joyfully and thankfully accept the grace that he's freely bestowed on us. Unfortunately, the third thing that happens when we live by our works, according to Paul, is that we refuse 
God's grace. We refuse God's grace. Verse 4 says, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now this verse can be a little bit confusing. Because it might sound like someone can lose their salvation if they don't live right before God. But that's not what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about losing your salvation if you don't live a good life. Scripture is very clear. That once you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and there is nothing that can separate you from that prize. It's yours, it's got your name on it, and it can't be taken from you. Ephesians 1 says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Of course, if you haven't been sealed then God's grace is useless to you. And that's what this verse is talking about. The Greek word here for severed means to be made useless, of no benefit, to, be, to, be, to fall away and be removed from. So when we live by works, we render Christ of no benefit to us. But the key to understanding this is in the meaning of the words, you who would be justified by the law. Now, I'm not going to break down every Greek word here, but basically what it says, if we would understand the Greek and all the tenses and all that stuff, is that you who continue trying to be saved through your own works, you who continue trying to be saved by your own works, who continue trying to justify yourself, who continue to try to live a good life apart from Jesus Christ. When you do that, then Jesus is worthless to you. And you've chosen to remove yourself from the benefit of the free grace offered to God, offered by God. So, so we're back in the mudder, right? And we're running along, and the mud is holding us down and We've gone through a couple obstacles, and we're a little bit beat up, and we're not quite sure if we're going to make it, but we're determined to push on through. And then Jesus comes running up to us, and he says, hey, let me run for you. You don't have to pay anything. I just want to do it because I love you, because I see how much you're struggling, and I recognize that you won't be able to do it on your own, but I can do it, so just just." Just let me run for you. And we look at him. No, no thanks. I'm going to do this one on my own. And he pleads with us and he says, Listen, you're not going to be able to do it on their own. Trust me. I'll run it for you. Just, just let me show you some grace. It's, it's a free gift. And whether it's because of our pride or because we just don't believe him, we think he's a liar, 
or whatever else might be going through our head, we refuse the grace of Jesus. And therefore, we are cut off from it. But now listen, believer, those of us who call ourselves children of God, we need to know that we can just as easily fall into the trap of refusing God's grace as someone who doesn't put their faith in Jesus. Though our eternal security may not be in question, though we're saved by grace, we might stop growing in grace. And Scripture commands every believer in Jesus Christ to continue to grow in grace. Second Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so what does that look like? Well, growing in grace is all about maturing in our faith and understanding that without God's continued help, we got no shot. Though our salvation is secure, we need Jesus to continue to intervene in our life and show us his grace. Growing in grace means that we recognize that without that ongoing intervention, we'd, we'd fall right back into our old way of living. Believing the old lies that used to bind us. Growing in grace means that as we recognize how great a gift Jesus has given us, how awesome his grace is, we can overflow with that and show it to others. So believer, don't relax just because you've let Christ run the race for you. Just because you know that he's won you the prize. Though your salvation is secure, and that will never be in doubt, ever, you can make you can make the rest of the journey a pretty rough ride. Because if you forget God's refining grace in your life, you can very easily revert back to a state where you behave as if those chains are still on you. They've been broken, but you've stopped growing in God's grace and put yourself back in slavery and aren't living free. When we choose to live by works, we refuse God's grace. Thankfully, thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us hanging right there. He continues on, and he reminds us of what happens when we live by faith. He says in verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul says, look, all that outward stuff, all those works, they don't mean squat. Here are three things that happen when you live by faith. And the first thing is that instead of relying on ourselves, we can now rely on the Holy Spirit. He says that through the Spirit, we can live by faith. We, we don't have to rely on our own strength. When we face those trials, when, when we face those unbearably difficult obstacles, we don't have to go it alone. So we're running that race. 
and, and, and we come up to this hill. And at the top of the hill is a wall. And there is no way that I'm going to get up this hill and then get over that wall on my own. It just, it, it, it ain't happening. It's not happening. I, I just, just throw in my shoes and go home now. I'm done. But then Jesus comes along, and we tag his hand, and, and we're excited, and we're like, hey, awesome, I'm getting the prize after all. And he turns at us and he says, hey, look, listen, I'm going to go get you that prize. Done deal. Because I love you. But, but listen, I want you to do something for me. I want you to keep running the race. Not because you're trying to earn the prize, but because you need to tell all those other people who are running the race with you about me. And that I'll run the race for them as well. Let them know that I'm running it for everyone. But, but listen, I, I'm not going to ask you to do this on your own. I know you can't do it on your own. Instead, I'm going to leave you the greatest friend you will ever have. The best personal trainer that you could ever ask for. The greatest encourager that you'll ever need. He'll give you all the strength. He'll give you all the agility, speed, endurance, compassion, love, sympathy, toughness, everything you need to get through the race of life. And that's the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. So when you're continuing on the race, knowing that Jesus has already crossed the finish line and and is waiting to give you your prize, you'll be able to get through the struggles because you have the greatest helper in the world helping you along the way and at times carrying you on his back. And people are going to look at you and say, how did you get up that hill? How did you finish that race? You didn't even train for the thing. How'd you get over that wall? And right then and there is when we'll have the opportunity to say, I didn't do anything. That was all Jesus. And it was all the Holy Spirit who helped me get through it. When we live by faith, we no longer need to rely on ourselves. Because now we have the Helper. And God will give us all we need to overcome any obstacle we face. Whether that obstacle is some specific temptation, like an addiction, or anger, or pride. Or, or maybe it's a state of mind like, like fear, or anxiety, or, or, or depression. Or maybe it's some physical trial like a sickness, or unemployment, or or a broken relationship. God will give you everything you need to get through that obstacle. He will give you everything you need to persevere. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation 
No trial has overtaken you that isn't common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted. He will not let you be tried beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When we live by faith, we have the privilege and the right as children of God to rely fully on the Holy Spirit to get us through anything. But secondly, Paul says that when we live by faith, we are also renewed by hope. We are renewed by hope. Verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now in the Greek, the words eagerly wait means an intense yearning with an unshakable expectation for something to happen. In this case, it's the hope of righteousness that we all will receive as children of God. But notice, that word hope, it's not a verb. It's a noun. In other words, it's not a question if something will happen, like, well, I sure hope it's a nice day today. It's a question of when. It's a deep conviction and firm belief that something will happen. So you're waiting with delight until it actually comes to pass. Because it will happen. When I was running along today, there were several times, lots of times, when it would have been very easy to give up and step out. In the midst of being frozen, burned, and pretty much tortured in lots of different ways, the easy thing to do would have been to give up. But one of the things that kept me going was the hope that it would be over soon. That the race would be complete and I could go home and rest. And friends, that is the exact same hope that we have when we allow Jesus Christ to run the race for us. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our race will end with us having eternal rest in heaven. And that thought, that knowledge, that eager expectation will renew us to continue running the race. Of course, if you live by works, you don't have that hope. Because you never know if you've done enough. Your hope will always be a verb. I, I, hope, I've, I hope I've done enough to get to heaven. And you'll live in bondage and fear that your hope won't come to pass. But when we live by faith, when we live free in the knowledge of our eternal salvation, our hope will always be a noun. I have the hope of heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope 
Jesus is the God of hope. And when we live by putting our faith in him, we are renewed by his hope on a daily basis. But finally, notice that when we live by faith, our lives aren't about ourselves anymore. When we live by faith, our lives result in love as we run the race together. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The chief way our faith expresses itself is through love. First and foremost, as a love for God, the one who saved us, but then flowing out of that is a love for all the people who are running the race with us. Now, I'm not talking about the emotional, sappy, feelings-driven love that the world spews forth. Right? That's not what Scripture is talking about here when it says love. The love Scripture describes is that which proceeds from an intentional choice to devote yourself to someone and to love them no matter what, whether they deserve it or not. The same sort of love that Jesus has shown every single one of us. I mean, after you've accepted Jesus' offer to finish the impossible race for you, and you saw him finish, and you know he's finished, and you know he has that prize waiting for you in heaven, wouldn't you want to devote yourself to him? No one else could do what he has done. Who else is worthy of our love? Who else is worthy of our devotion and praise? No one. And once that love takes root for Christ, it'll pour out of us as we share it with others. And that's exactly what Jesus expects to happen. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. That's, that's why the pronouns change here in verse 5. Notice in verses 2 through 4, the pronoun that's used throughout here is you. You, 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 you. But in verse 5, the pronoun changes to we. When we live by faith, our lives result in love as we run together. It's not about me. It's about we, and it's about us, and the love that we have for one another. Because the reality is that every one of us is going to stumble. Every one of us is going to fail at some point, is not going to be able to pass an obstacle, and we won't be able to pick ourselves back up if we try to do it on our own. When, when I was running today, apart from the hope of finishing the race, the other thing that kept me going were those who were running along with me. On one side, I had a physical therapist who was telling me, you can get through it. Your body won't break down. Don't worry, just keep pushing. 
And on the other side of me, I had a sports psychologist who was saying, hey, you can push through. Your mind won't break down. Don't worry. And there was a crazy German there who was just screaming encouragement the whole time. You can do it! (laughs) And all the other people who were there running along with me were encouraging me to finish the race. Even when I slipped and fell, they were there to pick me up and help me along the way. If I didn't have them, I'd still be laying in the mud. Friends, don't live by works. You won't finish the race. No matter how tough you think you are, you'll collapse short of the finish line. And and you'll end up in despair. The tough mutter gives you this little headband when you finish. But you know what? This is nothing compared to the crown of life that every single one of us is going to receive when we get to heaven. That is something to look forward to. That is something to be able to put your faith in, your hope in, knowing that Jesus Christ has that waiting to give to us. Let's not live in bondage to works. Let's live free by faith. Amen? Amen.